you know, the worst thing about design thinking is that the word design is in the title. So design doesn't even have to be part of the output. Uh, it's a human-centered approach to solving problems. You start by understanding people, wants, needs, frustrations, behaviors. In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. This episode is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI exploring the benefits and challenges of large-scale Mac adoption across the enterprise. Check out We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts, or go to wegotyourmac.com for all the episodes, plus tons of free bonus resources and content. When you think of mega companies like Apple, Starbucks, and Airbnb, you may ask yourself, why do they consistently outperform? Today's guest says it's because they are all driven by design thinking, and he has the stats to back him up. According to research by the Design Management Institute, design-led companies have been found to outperform the S&P index by 219%. Welcome back to another episode of Innovation Heroes, the podcast exploring the people and businesses driving change in a constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Paul Stonick is Vice President of SCADPRO, the design studio of the Savannah College of Art and Design. SCADPRO works with heavy-hitting clients such as Google, NASA, Fox Sports, Delta, and Deloitte. Paul led corporate design teams for 25 years before joining SCADPRO. Most recently, he led user experience design for the Home Depot. If you've ever used the Home Depot website or app, know that was Paul and his team. They grew the app from $700 million to $2 billion in terms of revenue. He'll tell us what design thinking is and why more companies should be adopting a design-led approach. Paul, welcome to Innovation Heroes. Oh, thank you, Ed. My pleasure. Okay. First and foremost, I was reviewing your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you went to both high school and college in New Jersey. Are, are you a Jersey guy? I am a Jersey guy. Jersey Shore. Now, don't believe everything you see on the Jersey Shore TV show because it's not true. It's really not like that. So I moved to Atlanta six years ago from New Jersey, spent most of my life in Monmouth County, Middletown and Homedale, New Jersey. Middletown and Homedale. Well, Homedale has its own history of, of innovative design with Bell Labs and, and, and everything there. So that, that, that's pretty cool as well. Um, full disclosure, I am from Highlands, which is right across the uh, bridge from, uh, San, uh, from Seabright and Sandy Hook. So, of um, course. All right. So we're the same exit, basically. The joke is, what exit are you if you're from New Jersey? I spent all my summers in Seabright, so I, I know it very well. Amazing. That, that is fantastic. And uh, I was really happy to see that. Um, can you just tell us really quickly, like, what's your own brief, brief history of design? You know, have you always been naturally artistic or, you know, where, where did it all start for you? I think for me, it really started at a very young age. So I had my typical suburban life growing up in New Jersey, playing sports. But I had an aunt that lived in New York City. And about once a month, I would go spend a weekend with her in New York, and she would take me to museums, galleries, opera, theater, musical theater. So I had a deep appreciation for the arts uh, early on in my childhood, so which was terrific. Now, I'm not necessarily an illustrator, nor can I draw or anything like that, but I always had an appreciation for design. Uh, I was turned on to art history in high school, and then I ended up majoring in art history in college as well. 
And then right around the mid nineties, this thing called the internet showed up around 95 right. as we know it. And that's where I really got my voice and said, oh, this is really cool. How do they make these pages? And a lot of it was self-taught in the beginning. And right. then I went back to school, which was really hard to find in those days to study web design and web development. So I like to say I was there when the magic was written back in the day of web design. And then I pivoted to UX design around 2012. Okay. Uh, I, I've heard it said in the past that some people can look at a sketch or a doodle and, and know what age that person was when they were told that art maybe wasn't for them. That that's just, you, do you think that's true or did, did nobody ever tell you that along the line? Nobody <laughs> ever told me that, but I think people forget that everyone's creative all the way through right. from your childhood all the way till now. Everybody is creative. Most people just forgot, right? So whether that was just jobs or education or socioeconomic or whatever it is, everybody's still creative to this day. And when we do design sprints or design thinking, I don't expect you to come in and draw. Stick figures are fine. It's really more about the problem solving process than it is about the fidelity of the drawing. That That's really interesting, especially with the way that that, that tools are, and I mean, like the Adobe Creative Suite and things, things like that. Um, I run into people because I work for a, a marketing team and they say, oh, I'm a graphic designer. And I'm always kind of like, you know, you ever have that that pause where you're like, all right, at what level are we talking about here? Because the tools are amazing, you know, but it's got to be more than the tools, right? Right, exactly. It's just not the the final product that you're designing, but what's the thinking that went into it? And it's understanding the user and the customer. That's what design thinking is. It's the wants, needs, frustrations, behaviors, patterns that will help you solve that particular problem. So you can have a pixel perfect mock-up of whatever that solution is, but if it's not usable, you got a big problem. If you've it's not solving the right problem in terms of what that execution is, then you probably built the wrong thing. Right. And and we have a lot of people that are that are listening that that do um they, they build teams and it might be it might be on the IT side, it might be on the marketing side. Um I, I'm guessing you can't just look at a portfolio and know like this person's, you know, g- gonna be for us. It, it it definitely takes more than that when you're putting a team together. You know, what are you looking for? Um for some of the some of the things that you've accomplished that we'll get into, there were there definitely were were support teams that had, you know, multi disciplines within them. Like, but what do you what are you really looking for? When you're when you're putting a team together right so it's not only the hard skills so they have to have a certain amount of fidelity and uh creative chops right for the to start with but i'm also looking about how they go about solving a problem and what their process is what was the research that was done what were the outcomes what were the actual patterns and pain points that you were solving for how did soft skills come into that when you think about listening and communication and collaboration uh, what was the story and narrative that was told through this uh, and then how does that map back to the bigger picture? So I let, at the end, I like to see numbers and I like for designers to be able to show the math. So show right. me the outcomes, what kind of lift, what kind of bottom line did this affect or how did it map back to some bigger investment? Uh, because that's where a lot of these incubators fail as well too, is that the money doesn't map back to something, right? It has to map back to some sort of investment strategy. So when designers can do that and pinpoint the work back to the bigger investment or to the bigger strategy, that's what I'm looking for. They have to be able to speak the language of business. Absolutely. And and that kind of is a great segue back to my intro um, in terms of the language of business. So um, design-led companies, you know, as I read, uh, out, outperform the S&P by 219%. And that's a big number. You know, wh- why is that the case? And, and what exactly are, in your mind, design-led companies? Yeah, it's a great question. It's because they value design. Now, value has different currencies in organizations, but the ones that we know like Apple and Airbnb, Google, Nike, Disney, they're really able to see the correlation on how a design-centric approach 
gives them an edge or maps back to the bigger picture or affects the bottom line, like we were just saying. Uh, you know, these companies are killing silos, developing a culture of test and learn, and customers are the source of truth at the end of the day. So really designed like companies have moved the process. They've moved design to the front of the process instead of the end of the process. And that's where contribution is generally limited or worse, they're told to make it pretty. And so design teams can't be known as the team that makes it pretty <laughs> right. or creates t-shirts and logos. So views like this have really built the wrong solutions at the end of the day. And and some of those co the companies that you mentioned, you know, Apple, Nike, I mean, they 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 really do have, you know, they, I mean, and they have to exert some sort of control over the brand. Like, how do you get, you know, the the, the students that you're that, that that you work with, or or the co colleagues or peers or whoever, how do you stay creative within the parameters of of of, of the brand itself? You know, how how difficult is that? It's very difficult because you have those constraints of the brand guidelines. So there are only certain things you have to live by in terms of what the brand is, but you have to have brand in the room as well too, or marketing in the room with you. That's how you break through that. So you don't want to be in silos, right? Anytime that the best design sprints or executions that I've done, I've got the right people in the room. So whether that's product, engineering, supply chain, marketing, legal, even if you got legal in the room, it's all about the right. problem solving process <laughs> and then breaking through that dimension and say, okay, let's push past the obvious of what can we do, but also staying within the parameters of our, our brand. Design and design thinking are um, definitely buzzwords now in, in business. You know, can you kind of define for us, you know, what your take on de design thinking is and, and what does it look like maybe in, in traditional enterprises? Yeah, it's a good question too. And I'm quoting a friend of mine, but you know, the worst thing about design thinking is that the word design is in the title. So design doesn't even have to be part of the output. Uh, it's a human-centered approach to solving problems. You start by understanding people, wants, needs, frustrations, behaviors. It was created in the 1960s. It was perfected by, the, by IDO in the 1990s. It's recently found fame again in traditional companies. And every company wants to be innovative, but does know how to teach their people how to be creative. Right. So that's where design thinking comes in. So to empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test, those are really the five steps of design thinking. But what's interesting about it is that it marries both creativity and critical thinking skills. So it requires teams to generate lots of ideas, going back to your earlier question about breaking through the creative, so they become comfortable with failure. Failure doesn't mean the game is over, it means to try again with experience. So it really forces you to keep your mind open and to try out new ideas early on. And you always have to remember your first idea is probably the worst. So how do you keep breaking right. through that so you don't become <laughs> invested in just one? Right. So just, just to clarify, you said empathize, define, ideate. And what were those last two? Prototype and test. Prototype and test. Got it. Really, really, really interesting there. I, in terms of, you know, you worked for three years as director of online user experience for, for Home Depot. And I really love the homedepot.com um, kind of use case for what we're talking about here. It's, it's, most people don't realize it's somewhere around the 50th most visited website, you know, in, in, in the U S and it's interesting to me because unlike Amazon or another 100% e-commerce only consumer site, you know, your users actually will visit a, or, or most likely to, I'm, I'm sure it's not a hundred percent, but a huge percentage are going to actually visit a physical location. 
and your audience is both professional, you know, the, the contractors and, and the builders and consumer, you know, how much had to be factored into all of those different audiences, all of those different, you know, online only, like hybrid in store, like how did, how did that factor into the design of, of, of Home Depot.com? And, and how did you, how did you get that right? It was complicated because Home Depot is a massive organization. And to be clear, Home Depot will always be a merchant-led organization. It will never be design-led, full stop. Right. However, we were able to make great inroads in terms of design thinking at Home Depot. Now, to Home Depot's credit, they invested in the interconnected experience going back to about 2013 or 2014. They saw the light early and said, this is the experience that people want. So they invested in technology, infrastructure, fulfillment centers, people. So they made all the right moves to show the success. And to your point, it's actually at the time I was there, and I believe this stat is still true, it's the fifth largest e-commerce site because wow. they had all that foresight from the beginning to say, we're going to build the experience that people want. Most of the customer journey starts on the phone. 50% of the journey start online and then directs people in store. So whether they're picking up in a locker or doing curbside pickup or whatever it is, it's seamless end to end. So Home Depot got it right because they saw the, the vision when it came to something being interconnected. And that was proven out through um, curbside pickup, right. which we actually launched during COVID. So when everything shut down and we're all working remote, it was really one of those rare experiences where leadership got out of the way and said, all right, go. We need to get curbside stood up because right. we don't have it. We're flat footed. And now this is the actual norm. So we started out very slowly with and say, OK, let's pilot it to five stores, eat our own dog food. Let's test it out. We were going to drive throughs ourselves and figuring out how it worked. You had managers and supply chain and other people coming together from all the stores and logistics. How's that going to work? People setting up Home Depot buckets with a yardstick on it and have writing curbside pickup this way until marketing could catch up. Right. And it was a beautiful thing because we scaled from five to 10 to 100 to all stores as well, too, because this is what the customer needed. This was an expectation and COVID really forced our hand. So that's where you can start leading from the front and also leadership getting out of the way also helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, it, and it, I, I just can tell you that it works because I'll, I'll go on homedepot.com, I actually write down like the SKU number and like I'm, I'm like more looking for that number in the store as much as the actual product itself. So I'm like, how they did this is, is, is amazing. So kudos to you and your, your, your entire extended team including leadership getting out of the way. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Whenever I talk about the Home Depot app, somebody always says, oh, I love being able to find the product in the store. And that's really probably the greatest feature. We know most <laughs> of the traffic that uses the app came from in store. But right. The fact that they could find the item in the aisle and the bay, huge time saver and huge win just in terms of usability and functionality. And the guys wearing the aprons are like, one last question I have to answer or, or, or take somebody's hand to go get something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so in terms of, we seem to be at a point where innovation is, is happening you know, quickly, although I, I feel like every five or 10 years I say that again, but especially now in areas such as AI, um, how essential do you think design thinking principles are like right now? I think it's absolutely critical right now. I see, I see AI as the wild, wild west. Mm. Right? There's really a lot happening out there, but we really haven't had the iPhone moment where everything okay. changes and everybody converges on one thing. You can argue ChatGPT is this thing that's come out, but it's really not the iPhone moment. It's a disruptor more than anything else and kind of caught some of the other companies with their pants down and said, oh, we better catch up in terms of what this is. But I think even with the recent downturn in the design market, layoffs are rampant, tech layoffs, product, 
it's really hard out there right now in that field. I even have IDO laying off a good number of design thinking professionals, but I think the principles still remain important because its value is greater than ever. One, it's inclusive. So one of the most powerful things about design thinking is that it brings everyone to the table on a project, like we said mm. earlier. It creates empowerment. Design teams become the guide and teacher to others. It allows us to go into other parts of an organization and teach others how to be creative again. And that was the win at, at Home Depot is that we took design thinking to HR and supply chain and all these other groups I had never even heard of because they heard the great work that we were doing with an interconnected experience. So that's value. Design can solve anything. So teams can work on the deeper problems. So it's not just about digital design or output. It could be used for org or processes, facilities, sales, internal events, even government services like we're doing at SCAD Pro. And then finally, it's really like a Trojan horse in many ways or a secret weapon. So if you want to create real change within an organization, you have to change the way people think and not the way they behave. And that's what we did at Home Depot as well, that we took design thinking all the way up to the executive leadership team. So no, no pressure. You got your C-suite sitting in the room and I'm telling my CFO to push past the obvious. And he's like, we should be working like this all the time. And I said, I know, right? So that's where that Trojan horse comes in because right. that's where you start creating change in, in behaviors. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a great point. I mean, we, we through through COVID, you know, we when we had to, you know, just enact different policies and things like that, I we, we were I was saying we have to we have to stop, you know, telling people how to think. They're going to have their own thoughts. We just have to you have to set policy and 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 give guidance, and then you know be be prepared for what is going to be thought about those things. So it's it's really really interesting. Yeah. Um. And and I want to pivot now to to your story and that of SCAD Pro. Um, you describe yourself on LinkedIn as being equal, quote, equal parts punk and pinstripe. Uh, what does that mean to you and how does it apply to your current role? Yeah, a punk is really being a corporate entrepreneur. So we are the catalyst. We're the rebels in the boardroom and change can't happen without us. So it's kind of knowing when to don your punk uniform, or when to don your pinstripe uniform. And so we're really this private network of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and punks who have built and done things that are objectively badass, in our opinion. Mm -hmm. I was founded by my good friend, Greg Larkin. He's an author of a book, This Might Get Me Fired, which will change your life when you read it. And when I read that book, and we met at a conference several years ago through a mutual friend, I was like, I am doing everything that's in your book. I said, I'm just using different language. We need to be friends immediately. And so when we think about ourselves as punks, and Greg is the founder and CEO of Punks and Pinstripes as well, too, but we think of ourselves as those who push freedom and the innovation that is necessary in an organization where when innovation is rarely authorized. So we look to help each other, support and resolve. Uh, I've spent a good portion of my career pushing design to a strategic level. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of time and a lot of testicular fortitude to get there as well, because you're going to have a whole level of leadership that's either out to kill you or they're not interested in your idea and nobody risks anything when they shoot down an idea. So that's right. part of our, our mantras is, is that it's outcomes over output, finding like-minded people. And that's what punks do. We're secret societies that pull people together and list others in our cause because we're trying to really create this blend of missionaries and mercenaries. So to answer your question now, how I think about it in my current role, it's really about rallying the students into becoming these missionaries and mercenaries. And what that means is that you want to find the right talent of people on your team that are not only missionaries and going towards the big picture of what the company is going for mm -hmm. and the values of the company, but also they're going to roll up their sleeves right now and do the work. And I have found that is really kind of the best blend. And that's a little bit of what we do at SCAD Pro is that you're getting these uh, students to believe in the value that they're providing for the company or brand partner they're working with, but also rolling up their sleeves and doing some really cool and innovative work. 
at least a little bit at the beginning during during a new engagement you you have to be wary I, I mean, i'm just assuming this is the case where you're like well i think that they wanted to hire the punk but they only want the pinstripes right now <laughs> like or how how often do you get brought in and you're like i know in your mind you think you're you're that this is the punk part right now we haven't even started on the punk part yet <laughs> right yeah it's like and that sometimes shows up afterwards right so mm -hmm. you everybody's on best behavior but to right. create to create change you have to be a catalyst you have to be a bit of punk and you have to break through corporate obstructionism yeah right? and there's going to be a whole level line of leadership in different companies that like i said they're either out to kill you or they're going to shoot down your <laughs> ideas so who is your bulletproof vest who's your godfather or godmother that's going to clear the ways for you and help drive a mac truck through that right and how do you enlist others in, in the cause to help change like we did with the ELT, a whole group of us showed up to perform a facilitation with our ELT. Like, who are these guys? Right. And, you know, so that that was the punk, the punk team that came to fruition. <laughs> right. I, I always feel like there's a kickoff when it's like the punk team gets all the press at the kickoff or whatever it is. And then it's like, yeah, no, no, we still need to be doing this six, nine, 12 months down the road. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah, like we said, it's about outcomes over output. And so when you can back it up with actual outcomes and data, and proof, then you start to depoliticize the conversations a little bit more and you start getting a bit more real in terms of what's deliverable and what we're getting done. And data is pretty huge because it, you know, it, at, at the end of the day, that's the, the one that, that data, and you mentioned it earlier about the, the, res, the res, being results driven, they, you can't argue with that, with that aspect of it. So that's, that's a great point. You mentioned in our pre-interview that SCAD Pro has worked with more than 45% of Forbes' list of most valuable brands. Can you tell us how these partnerships work and, and walk us through the process of how you know, SCAD Pro solves real life problems? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, SCAD Pro is our in-house design research and innovation studio. And just to build on what you said, you know, SCAD Pro has completed over 700 partnerships to date and over 70 products have been launched into market. Wow. Uh, I manage a business development team that creates outreach to these companies to engage them in our services. Um, and we also receive projects through industry relationships, faculty, alumni who have done SCAD Pro in the past, and a lot of word of mouth as well. And so we have several offerings that include a design challenge uh, where we can solve a problem over the course of 40 hours or several days, depending upon the this statement of work. Uh, we also have a partnership, which is where we solve a problem over the course of 10 weeks. So SCAD runs on the quarter system. Uh, so we just finished our fall quarter. We'll be going to winter quarter in January. And then we also have what's called an executive experience. So that's where we go into other companies and provide professional coaching. So whether it's on presentation mm. or design thinking 101 or custom curriculum. Uh, but over the course of the 10 weeks, we have several check-ins with the brand partner for status, feedback, um, making sure that the project is really on track in terms of delivery. And then brand partners generally join us at midpoints or for final presentations to have interaction with our faculty and students. And at that point, that's what I tell the students, after you're, that's when you're going upstairs. Right. That's when you're going upstairs to present your final presentation. So nothing should be a surprise to the brand partner at the end because they have seen the project all the way through the journey. So at the end of the project, all that IP is turned over to the brand partner. So whether it goes mm. to market or further R&D or to sell into leadership, whatever it is, right. um, sometimes companies will run back to back quarter projects. They might run two or three simultaneously, but we trended about 20 to 25 projects per quarter. So in terms of, um, you know, you, you, I'm sure you have a lot of great case studies, you know, working with uh, clients like NASA, Uber, you know, Delta Airlines. Can you give us some examples of, of these projects and, and, and the problems that they solved? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the most tangible one because a lot of people answer yes. So Ed, have you ever <laughs> been through, have you ever been through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru? I most certainly have. 
Okay, said nobody ever, right? Because <laughs> most people have, and that was a SCAD Pro project, right? So going back to what I was saying earlier, the facilitation of design thinking is not necessarily about design, it's about organization, process, flow, et cetera. That was a SCAD Pro project in terms of facilitating the drive-through to the iPad experience, the orchestration mm -hmm. of the cars going through. And that is value at the end of the day because that's return for Chick-fil-A. You have more cars going through, so you're selling more food. And then that's return for the customers because they're getting their food faster. That's the most realistic one that people say, oh, I've been through a Chick-fil-A drive-through and it's amazing compared to the other brands that are out there. So we'd like to talk about that one because it's so real. But for some of the other examples, for example, uh, we work with NASA. Uh, students collaborated with um, people from NASA for the ISAT2 website and to come up with creative ideas to communicate the rebranding of the science mission for the ICE satellites. Uh, for, we worked with Uber to assist in the research and development of concepts for a common cabin interior. What does that look like? And a hmm. vertiport for flying cars. Um, Here's a good one. So if you go to davidyerman.com, uh, the foremost luxury, luxury jewelry brand, you'll see that we just launched their holiday campaign, Create Joy, Give David Yerman. There's a wonderful film on, wonderful film on their homepage uh, that shows everything that we shot here on our LED volume stage. Um, so we're the only school in the nation that not only has one LED volume stage, but we've got two. And it's the same type of stage that they shoot the Mandalorian on. So hmm. this is really forward-thinking, cool, interesting projects that we're doing uh, and then finally, I'll talk about Deloitte as well, too, because Deloitte is actually our biggest client. We've done 30 projects to date. We've hired over 30 students directly into Deloitte. We've been working with them since 2019, and they saw the light early in terms of the value of what SCAG could bring and design thinking. And we're solving big, complex, meaty problems in the, in the government space uh, in the government space in general. So, you know, this is amazing for us because, you know, this is something that we can create deep emotional connections to in terms of the work that we're doing for not only SCAB, but also for Deloitte. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you, you mentioned the, the, the government, you know, doing, doing some work for the government. Um, I, I know that you guys also work on solving complex government issues like social security and, and, and child welfare. Um, but there's also like th then there's a whole political issue and because like nobody is is well I hope nobody is against you know providing you know people the services that they need but then there's but but at the same time the, the, that whole the you know the people's trust in the government you know is also low it's like yeah, we know we need these things but we trust that they're they're not being 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 done efficiently like have you guys seen like the ability to change the attitude and like yeah like so you know we know we're for these things we know that. There, there's, you know, kind of lower, lower opinion of, of the, the government that's delivering it. You know, how do you kind of um, like, are you able to just influence, you know, people's perceptions um, in a positive way about things that, that generally they would probably be accepting of, you know, except for who's delivering it, maybe. I don't know. Long, long, long winded question. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. And I, I think the beauty of what we do at SCAD Pro is that you're coming in and working with students. With, and they're using unconstrained thinking, mm. right? So they're going in unconstrained thinking, Gen Z mindset as well. And they're empathizing from the beginning. So they're putting themselves mm. in the shoes of those people that are struggling. So whether it is public housing or welfare or social security or reconfiguring space launches, you know, they're putting themselves in the shoes. So you really get this emotional connection. And the, when I watch the final presentations from the students, you can see how deeply connected some of these students are to these stories. So taking the time to understand the problem and the challenges and needs of the user, that's the sweet spot for us. 
And then when this reveals the potential solutions that may have not been discovered otherwise. So when you really go in with that open mind, that's where the fresh creativity comes. That's our sweet spot. It's got to be fun to be on campus. It's great. It's an amazing experience. And the opportunity that these students have just in terms of facilities, technology, uh, and being at a place where we're really preparing them for their creative professions. What an opportunity for them. I wish this stuff existed when I went to school. Absolutely. So in terms of um, companies, you know, adopting a design led approach, um, you know, especially for bringing innovation quickly to the market, you know, but but what happens when you encounter like resistance? And where does that come from? You know, the resistance to design theory, innovation versus like traditional models. um, And kind of how do you get around that? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier. So there's always going to be a level of corporate obstructionism somewhere. Right. So how do you work through that? And so I think there's a resistance to the process because it's probably not fully understood or what Mm. the business value is and maybe hasn't been clearly articulated. So as designers and creatives, we have to be able to talk the language of business or in other words, show the map. So really by speaking the language of business and what leaders care about, how it affects the bottom line, it becomes a much different conversation where you can get the buy-in and the support. So the work has to connect back to some sort of KPI or investment or broader strategy and just not be done in the vacuum. And as design leaders, we have to be inclusive of our business partners. And like I said earlier, get IT, supply chain, operations, marketing, legal, get them all in the room early to get the buy-in. And then they feel like they've got skin in the game. Like I said, you're not expecting them to draw. You're looking for diverse perspectives and creating interdependence, which is key, uh, in the problems that need to be solved. Right. So it, it sounds like SCADPRO is doing an, an incredible job preparing students for you know, their future careers and working you know, right now you know, in, in, on, on real world problems. Um, you know, what's, your, what's your approach or, or what, what, have, maybe, like, what have you been pleasantly surprised about seeing you know, how their development into the, the business leaders of tomorrow or what is your approach to, develop, to fostering that development? Yeah, so our, our mission is to prepare talented students for creative professions through engaged teaching and learning in a positively oriented environment. Uh, so as we discussed earlier today, SCADPRO provides students with valuable real-world experience and real-world projects to, to solve. Uh, we prepare them for their professional careers. We like to think of ourselves in SCADPRO as the stepping stone or finishing school before they enter their creative profession. And, and really, creative preparation is woven into every fiber of the university, resulting in superior alumni employment rate as well, too. In a recent study, 99% of SCAD graduates were employed or pursuing further education or within 10 months of graduation. Wow. Uh, in, in winter 2021, SCAD launched the SCAD School of Business Innovation as well, incorporating a diverse array of SCAD's top-ranked academic programs to really prepare the next generation of creative leaders to navigate the changing business landscape. Um, so when it comes to hiring, like I was saying earlier with new talent, it's not only about the hard skills, and especially through the lens of design thinking, it's being empathetic and endless curiosity. So on top of that, the soft skills of collaboration, communication, teamwork, listening, leadership, they're getting all of that in SCADPRO as well, too, because they need to have both when they're going into that boardroom or they're going into that meeting or they're going into that inclusive design thinking sprint. That's key. And that's what they're getting in terms of their preparation for their creative careers. And and I understand you guys have have multiple locations. You're, you're out of the Atlanta campus? That's correct. I'm based out of the Atlanta campus. Our headquarters, if you will, are in Savannah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a location in Lacoste, France, and then we also have online learning through SCAD now. 
Awesome. I, 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 I've walked past, uh, just as a coincidence, walked past, um, your location in Savannah and that, that city from a design perspective is, is darn near perfect in my eyes in terms of, um, you know, with the, the way that the parks are laid out and, and, and everything, I'm like, boy, if, if, if there were a designer going here, I thought to myself, this would be one heck of a town to observe, you know, just on your, on your walk into classes. It is a beautiful city and SCAD has nearly 90 buildings uh, in Savannah alone. Wow. So, uh, and we're all about historic preservation as well and keeping the integrity of the buildings. And you know when you're in a SCAD building as well too. Uh, it's got a certain look, appeal, aesthetic, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Like I said, what an opportunity for the students uh, to be part of that as they're going through their, their college years. That, that, that's fantastic. Paul, thanks again for your time. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about the work that you're doing or, or SCAD Pro in general, uh, where can they go to find out more about, about your SCAD Pro? Yeah, sure. And thank you for having me today. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Connect with me there. You can go to scad.edu to learn more about the Savannah College Art and Design. Or to learn more about SCAD Pro, you can go to scad.edu slash scadpro. Well, Paul, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here today and for you know, sharing your thoughts on you know, innovating through design thinking and how to adopt a, a design-led approach. So um, demonstrating the, the business value of design is, is essential to quickly bringing innovation to market. You've given us a lot to think about in terms of how to gain buy-in for design thinking and the steps to get started, uh, as well as, it, it, as how innovation means creating a positive change uh, in, in users' behavior. So uh, to everybody out there, thanks for thanks for our listeners for joining us. Make sure to follow and subscribe to Innovation Heroes wherever you get your podcast, or check us out on YouTube, unless you're doing that right now. Uh, we'll be back with another inspiring hero in two weeks. Until then, this is Innovation Heroes, and I'm your host, Ed McNamara. This episode is brought to you by We Got Your Mac, a new podcast from SHI, exploring the benefits and challenges of large-scale Mac adoption across the enterprise. Check out We Got Your Mac wherever you get your podcasts, or go to wegotyourmac.com for all the episodes, plus tons of free bonus resources and content.